This episode is brought to you by Geek Grind Coffee Company. Steven, you're you're a comic book guy, right? I am. Yeah, I like comics. Um, are you familiar with Valiant Comics? Uh, I am. You mean the company created by uh, Jim Shooter in the late 80s? Yes, the very same. Um, yeah. Are you familiar with uh, the Shadow Man comics from Valiant? I am familiar. I have not read them. Well, let me tell you, he's pretty awesome. He's got voodoo powers. I he, mean, that's pretty great. He protects the city of New Orleans. Okay. And now, thanks to Geek Grand Coffee, Valiant Comics has partnered with them, and he has two of his very own coffee blends that you can purchase. Oh, wow. So not just one, but two sh- comics-inspired coffees. That I've never heard of something like that before. That's really awesome. Yeah, he's got uh, the Spirit of the Loa private blend, uh, 100% single-source small-lot Colombian from the uh, Geek Grind women-owned farms. And there's also the Dark Roast uh, featuring one of his villains. Excellent. That's fantastic. And this all is single-source coffee from the Colombian women-owned farms that, that Geek Grind uses to source their coffee? Yeah, absolutely. One and the same. That's And that's phenomenal. And I think it's so cool that Geek Grind does that and specifically customizes coffees for the nerd experience, whether you're into nerdy movies like Labyrinth or whether you're into uh, D&D style stuff. They've got a coffee specifically customized for you. Yeah, because they even have uh, coming up uh, this, this spring. Um, spring has sprung and we're getting um, some Elven Enlightenment coffee. Um, hey, you can you can now get a they're offering a, a coffee crate gift set comes with a mug with that awesome geek grind artwork uh and two bags of elven enlightenment that sounds really good i've been uh sipping on some dwarven dawn these days and i gotta tell you uh that's a good blend that's that's some good coffee right there so i can only imagine elven enlightenment will be just as tasty and you know what else is great they not only have these great coffees they've also got some tea absolutely they do so i mean not everyone's a coffee drinker i know that's hard for people like you and i to imagine but uh, they also have tea for those that aren't a big fan you can choose from thurston von hamilton's london fog breaker which is one of my favorites an english breakfast tea uh, or you can get the meditations of the yogi uh, which is a, a total body tea blend um, which is uh, served loose for uh pure tea fanatics so uh, a couple of great teas to choose from if coffee is not really your thing uh, but all of their beverages are high quality. And we here at Disenfranchised really recommend them. Yeah, 100%. So go check out Geek Grind Coffee. Use code FRANCHISE20 at checkout for 20% off your next coffee or tea order. That's geekgrindcoffee.com forward slash disenfranchised and use promo code FRANCHISE20 for 20% off your total order. Geek Grind Coffee. Hello and welcome to the latest in a long string of podcasts that we call Disenfranchised. We're a podcast all about those franchises of one, those films that fancy themselves full-fledged franchises but fell flat on their faces after the first film. My name is Stephen Foxworthy. I'm one of your hosts and my other host flying his helicopter dangerously close to the exploding building. It's my co-host Brett Wright. Hi, Brett. Get down, Stephen. I'm down. I'm down. They're going to blow it all up. They're going to blow it all to hell. And blow it all to hell they do. 
uh, because we are talking about uh, an, a, a quite explosive movie, uh, an unfortunately explosive movie, given that this movie came out when it did. Brett, what movie are we talking about today? Uh, we are talking about Tom Clancy's Sum of All Fears. Yes, The Sum of All Fears, 2002's The Sum of All Fears, uh, directed by Phil Alden Robinson and starring, among others, uh, Ben Affleck, Morgan Freeman, James Cromwell, Bruce McGill, Philip Baker Hall. Uh, the the cast list on IMDb is not in order of prominence, so I'm just jumping around here. My apologies. Uh, Michelle Moynihan is in this movie. Lee Garlington. Um, it's Bridget Moynihan. Who did I? I said Michelle Moynihan, didn't I? It's Bridget Moynihan. I'm an idiot. Colm Fior, uh, Kiaren Hines. Who else worthy of note here? Ron Rifkin is in this. Uh, Sven Ole Thorsen, uh, the the guy who plays Bob Kelso on Scrubs, is in this as well. Uh, it, it's got a, a really stacked cast of that guy character actors, is what this movie has, and they all play political figures. Weirdly, um, what a weird movie that we're talking about today, Brett. <laughs> Is is definitely weird. I don't have any context really for these because this is the first Jack Ryan movie I've ever seen. And so Right. It might be weird. I don't know. It seems <laughs> fine to me, I guess. So this is the um this is the first attempt, uh, first Hollywood attempt to reboot the Jack Ryan franchise. I will get into it because I grew up with this franchise. Um this is one that uh my dad was a really big fan of when we were growing up. So I have seen all of these movies, except the latest one. Honestly, I've not seen Jack Ryan shadow recruit yet, but I grew up watching hunt for red October Patriot games and clear and present danger. Uh, I'm sorry, Mr. President. I don't dance might be um, maybe like a top 20 movie quote for me. Um, Harrison Ford pointing at the president and saying that, you know, uh, the president who is uh, Gary from the thing, um, you know, it just, Great, great stuff in those movies. Uh, but yeah, we will get into the Jack Ryan franchise. Cause again, I, I grew up with this franchise. Like I know this franchise pretty well. I've seen the first season of the Amazon uh, Jack Ryan series. Uh, and of course the reason we're covering this today is because uh, uh, according to the, the internet, there is a new Tom Clancy uh, film coming out this weekend uh, starring Michael B. Jordan called Without Remorse. Uh, featuring the character John Clark, who was last portrayed on screen by Liev Schreiber in this movie. Interesting. I did Liev like Schreiber. his character. So It's good. Yeah, uh, Liev Schreiber, a name I left off of that list because, again, uh, IMDb, for some reason, has these people listed in order of appearance uh, rather than the Hollywood billing order, which is infuriating. That is a little weird. But... I mean, they, they put them up in the order they're listed in the credits, so that's how they must have done it in the credits, but... It just, it makes, I, I have to do a lot of pre-work when that happens. And I didn't do any pre-work for this episode. So. Well, that's fine, man. We'll let it slide this time. Coming in hot, maybe. Like we uh, do. Like we do. So you, you have not seen any Jack Ryan films whatsoever. No. Not, not even all. the Hunt for Red October. No, no, I never did. Oh, Hunt for Red October is so good, man. Sean Connery, Alec Baldwin, uh, Scott Glenn. Uh, Courtney B. Vance, great cast. John McTiernan directed it, director of one of your favorite movies, Last Action Hero. 
Um, also directed a little movie called Predator, uh, another little movie called Die Hard. So, I mean, the direction is is great, top tier direction. Um, that's the first film in the franchise. So let's let's actually let's double back because these are all based on Tom Clancy novels. Are you familiar with Tom Clancy as a novelist at all? Um, I'm familiar with Tom Clancy as a novelist. I'm also familiar with Tom Clancy as um, an author whose books get turned into video games. I was going to say that seems more likely. So you're you're a Splinter Cell guy. I didn't. I do enjoy a Splinter Cell. Um, I. Am unfortunately at this point pretty intimately familiar with Rainbow Six Siege. Rainbow okay, Six. Was, Rainbow Six was the other one then, yeah. Yeah. Um, but other than that, you know, no. So I'm more familiar. I'm not familiar with the movies, but I'm familiar with the books and the video games. Okay, so you have at least some some knowledge of of Tom Clancy. So that's that's something anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah. So uh, Tom Clancy actually Rainbow Six. Interestingly. Uh, is uh, a series of books and I would assume series of games that actually focus on the character of John Clark. So, uh, well, they, he does not feature in uh, what I don't know if there's more than one rainbow six game. There's just siege and okay. he's not in that. Okay. Uh, but he is the title character, or I can I, not title character, the, the main character, the protagonist, if you will, of at least the novel rainbow six. So there you go. Um, but yeah, great character. Tom Clancy is a, he's an, to quote his Wikipedia page, actually, I want to quote his Wikipedia page because the way they put this is just insane to me. And I love it so much. Um, hang on. Let me find this. Clancy was an ordinary American citizen who was an insurance agent. Um. You know, just I don't know why that tickles me, but I just think that's a really funnily worded sentence. Um, I mean, it, just, it sounds like he's like it's the opening line of a book and he's like the protagonist. <laughs> yeah, which is in, I mean, honestly, Jack Ryan is kind of Clancy's literary alter ego. Like he is this kind the character is this always portrayed, at least in the novels, as this uh, bookish guy who is. um always thrust into these uh, uh these situations that he is able to rise to um usually with with wonderful aplomb so it's kind of like Clancy's own sort of wish fulfillment in a way um that there's this kind of nerdy guy who gets to basically be an action hero okay so he's actually gotten away with doing a self-insert protagonist for an entire book series Wonderful. correct good to know and you know that character eventually becomes the head of the cia becomes the president of the united states of america i mean there's there's a lot going on with that character okay so he's a mary he's a mary sue as well got it ish yeah i mean he, he doesn't start there he, he grows into that role uh, reluctantly of course um, oh, sure. Right. The, the character is, is a self-made millionaire due to playing the stock market. He is essentially the conservative ideal because Clancy's politics were <clears throat> extremely conservative. Um, big Reagan fan, if you if you know what I mean. So, uh, all right. Uh, so he starts writing his first book comes out in 1984. It's The Hunt for Red October. Uh, it's the first Jack Ryan novel. It's also be, will become the first Jack Ryan movie in 1990. It comes out in 1984 and is kind of 
basically Clancy is known for doing the research. So if there's anything technical, if there's anything technical at all that goes into any of his books, he researches it very thoroughly. So for Hunt for Red October, he was um, uh, researching like submarine engines because the 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 core MacGuffin in that film is that the Red October is a submarine that is able to run silent. Like they have an engine that allows them to run completely silently. And so that had to make sense technically in his mind in order to be able to work on screen uh, or work in the novel, I guess, because he wasn't really concerned about movies when he was writing this thing. Um, and like at, at some point got questioned by the government saying, how do you know about this technology? And he's like, I just researched it and figured it out. Um, wow. Yeah. So, so he's also a little, maybe a little bit, if, if Michael Crichton took himself a little bit too seriously. Sure. You know, there's something to be said for that. Because uh, Clan and, and Clancy's also a very big stickler for, um, he's he's very much like Stephen King in this way of well it didn't really you know they weren't really paying attention to what was in the book like on the DVD commentary for this movie it's Clancy and uh, Phil Alden Robinson the director and uh, Clancy's like yeah I'm the guy whose whose work he ignored uh, to make this movie so you know. Um, yeah, like he didn't like the fact that uh, later uh, the, the second and third movies in the Jack Ryan series made uh, Jack Ryan more liberal in his politics. Um, Harrison Ford makes a joke in Patriot Games about being able to read Doonesbury, which apparently um, Tom Clancy did not find very funny. Um, you know, it's stuff like that. Um, but you know, so he's very protect. Obviously, he's very protective of this character because this character is kind of him. Um but uh, but yeah, that's that's kind of the origin of the character. The first movie comes out in 1990, uh, and of course, being a conservative, writing novels in in Reagan Reagan's America, he's writing a lot about the Cold War. So the Hunt for Red October comes out, and it is all about the Cold War, uh, except that uh, the Cold War is pretty much over by 1990 when this movie is is coming out. Uh, so what they did, they did this genius move of making it a period piece by setting it five years prior. <laughs> genius. <laughs> they set it the year the book comes out, and all of a sudden, everyone's fears are assuaged. Um, I would say the first Jack Ryan movie, Hunt for Red October, is easily my favorite. I think Alec Baldwin also my favorite of the Jack Ryans. If I I would have ranked my Jack Ryans, but I've never seen shadow recruit i meant to watch it before this episode and i didn't get a chance to because my life is busy these days um so uh, i don't unfortunately have a ranked list of all the jack ryans you would have to watch a lot of movies in order to have a, jank, a ranked list of jack ryans i, I would yeah but i and mean a TV I'm, not show. A, I'm not opposed to doing at this point like after this movie like it's you know it's fun so so i've, I've got this thing and i don't know if i brought it up on the podcast before but it i probably have but it's then I, I have a problem with inconsistency in casting. So if it's not the same actors playing the same characters over multiple movies, it bothers me. It, it's a weird thing that I have, and I know it's really stupid. And But it's just, I don't know, it's weird. I like the consistency. Um, so the reason I never watched any of these movies is because you never get anybody playing Jack Ryan more than twice. And, and, you, and then it's only Harrison Ford who plays him that many times. So, yeah. And it only happened once the one time. And then, yeah. you know, most, most, not all, but most of the cast is recast every movie. And yeah, it just, it bothers me. But like, I, you know, I've gotten better about that 
over the years and the, you know i i enjoyed this movie enough that i i would go and give the rest of them a try probably so you know if we ever do cover another one because we could we could uh, definitely do shadow recruit that's definitely a possibility yeah so you know then then we could do by then i might have watched them all and we could do our top five jack ryan's our, our jack ryan power ranking yeah because uh, I'm, I would tell you this honestly, um, probably toward the bottom of my list of favorite Jack Ryan movies, um, which may or may not be showing my hand. But I, I mean, Hunt for Red October is almost a perfect movie. It's, it's really very strong. I like that movie quite a bit. Um, but then you've got the two Harrison Ford movies, which are both really good. Again, I haven't seen Shadow Recruit yet, so I can't really place that one. But I mean, the, those first three are pretty strong. Um, they actually were planning. Well, I guess I'll get into that after we do the plot in 60, because that's more set up for this movie. But they were planning on doing other Harrison Ford movies for a while, um, which I can get into, like I said, after we do the plot in 60. Um, but there, there's a little bit to unpack there. But that's all table setting for this specific movie rather than table setting for the franchise as a whole. So the Jack Ryan franchise uh, begins as novels in 84, movies in 90. There has been... Five movies in the Jack Ryan franchise. Uh, the first, Hunt for Red October. The character is played by Alec Baldwin. Uh, the movie is directed by John, Mc the great John McTiernan. The next two films star Harrison Ford, Patriot Games in 92, Clear and Present Danger in 94. Those are directed by the Australian Philip Noyce. And uh, again, starring Harrison Ford as a titular character. Uh, 2002, this movie, we get Ben Affleck and the film directed by Philip Alden Robinson. Some of all fears. And then 2014, we get Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit, where Chris P Chris Pine, excuse me, plays the character, and Kenneth Branagh, who we have discussed before, he of Artemis Fowl fame, uh, directs the film. Interesting. Yeah. So I mean, that's it's a it's a, a bizarre franchise in that, as you mentioned, there's very little, I would say only the Bond films have as much inconsistency with the title character. And they're spread out over a lot more. I mean, there's 30 of those and like, I think six bonds by now, if I'm doing my math right. So, I mean, that's uh, for five movies to have four Jack Ryans. And then of course there's the Amazon television show, which is uh, Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan starring uh, Jim from the office, John Krasinski. Uh, he of some good news fame. Uh, as the as the title character there, or, or of of a quiet place fame, or of a quiet place fame for those uh, who love a quiet place, uh, is a quiet place two out yet? No. Did that movie ever end up coming out? Not yet. No, I don't even know if it has a release date. I, it has to by now. I would assume but, so, right? Yeah. Everything's getting like released. Like everything's been pushed back, and has gotten some kind of a release date. Yeah, it got pushed back for sure, but I I don't know if I've ever seen a release date on it. Let me find out real quick. Well, I mean, while you're doing that, I can definitely say that I think uh, that's one of the reasons why I never really got into Bond, as I mentioned before, is the mm -hmm. constant change of main character, which I've, I've, you know, started to backtrack on that, too, and going back and watching Bond movies. So, you know, maybe yeah. maybe the Jack Ryan series is next. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's it would take you a lot less time to get through. I can tell you that uh, yeah. for nothing. For sure. Because, uh, again, you're only you're only watching five movies. And if you want to to two series of a TV show. So, uh, and that's not including the new movie, which takes place within the Ryan verse. Um, 
as it is called. <laughs> Does he meet the other Jack Ryans? Is Harrison Ford <laughs> in the series? Into the Ryan verse. <laughs> Into the Ryan verse. Um, but in that, it stars John Clark, who is a character who is tangentially related to um, Jack Ryan, um, played by Willem Dafoe in Clear and Present Danger, played by Liev Schreiber in this movie, and soon to be played uh, this upcoming Friday by Michael B. Jordan. So, cool. That's uh that's a, a stacked list of actors, uh, if you ask me. So yeah, no, be... I uh, I enjoy Michael B. Jordan. Oh, for sure, for sure. Uh Fruitvale Station, fantastic, Black Panther, wonderful. Have not seen Creed yet, but need to. Sure, sure, sure. Um, but yeah, good stuff. Uh let's let's get into it then. Let's talk about this movie. Hold on, hold on, man. You were looking up the release date of Quiet Place too. What'd you find? May twenty eighth. Cool. Okay, good to know. So within a month of the release date of this episode. Uh, so that's exciting. Sweet. Um, so, but, but as I, before I was saying, before I was so rudely interrupted. Uh, no, you're fine. Sorry, uh, following up on a question. <laughs> you know, my bad. That was going to be my outro, but whatever. People would have crucified us later. Like, I was just... going to make it my outro. All right, fine. But never mind. I have to think of a new outro now. All right. Um, anyway. <laughs> Uh, we are talking about uh, the sum of all fears. And before we get too deep into it, we first need to flip the coin of justice to decide who's going to deliver the plot in 60 seconds, where one of us will recount the entire plot of 2002's sum of all fears in 60 seconds or less, or your podcast is free. Brett, call the coin of justice in the air. Uh, tails. And it is tails, hey. which means it falls to me. Stephen Foxworthy to recount the plot of this movie, The Sum of All Fears, in 60 seconds or less. Brett, if you would, please put 60 seconds on the clock for me. Absolutely. Whenever you are ready, sir. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. All Go right. It. Your time. It starts All right now. A nuclear weapon goes missing during the Yom Kippur War and gets uncovered uh, in the Middle East. Uh, meanwhile, uh, there's a problem in Russia, and so the the new the prime minister of Russia dies, and so a new prime minister takes his place. Young CIA analyst Jack Ryan is an expert on Nemirov, the new prime minister. So uh, William Cabot, played by Morgan Freeman, takes him with him to Russia, and they meet and discover there's a problem in Chechnya. So they go into Chechnya with uh, John Clark and try to figure out what happened to the nuclear warhead. They seconds. find out that it's uh, going to be sent to America for terrorist stuff by a, a splinter group, not actually connected to the Russian government. Uh, they uh, blow up the uh, it's Baltimore Stadium during the Super Bowl and uh, end up causing a Cold War style standoff between the U.S. and Russia. Ryan ends up interceding and manages to get them black, uh, to back down. Uh, and so they stop and uh, they declare peace and peace is declared. But uh, Morgan Freeman has died and uh, Jack Ryan gets in, engaged to his girlfriend. Who's and that really is time. Oh, <sighs> dude, you almost got there. Yeah, you almost got it. And uh, I, I almost fit in some of the, the plot of this movie. <laughs> I got the big stuff, but oy, oy, oy. I mean, you got most of it. Let's I be did. I got, I got a good, I got a good chunk of it. Um, yeah. So, um, wow. What a movie. Um, and, uh, yeah. So let's, let's get into the movie. Um, let's kind of start, I guess, start with development on this one. The, um, 
so after Clear and Present Danger, this Clear and Present Danger was still a hit, so this was still considered a viable franchise. Uh, however, Clancy had written by that point so many books that it was anyone's guess which one they would do next. Uh, at one point, William Shatner um, said in an interview that he was going to be uh, working on the next Jack Ryan film, which was going to be uh, the Cardinal of the Kremlin, I believe is the title of the film, uh, which is, yes, the Cardinal of the Kremlin, which actually was a, it was the book that came out in between Patriot games and clear and present danger. They eventually, I think decided to scrap that and moved ahead with the next novel in the series, the sum of all fears, um, which they were planning to move ahead with, with Harrison Ford and Philip Noyce. And, eventually like they just weren't able to make it work it, both uh ford and noise had to end up pulling out and so they started shopping around for a new jack ryan ben affleck's agent reached out to paramount and said hey ben affleck maybe and uh so they they tried him out they like and of course ben affleck at this point is kind of a star ascendant um and so he seems like a logical choice he's a guy kind of looking for a franchise um, he has at this, let's actually do a little bit of Ben Affleck retrospective here before we get too deep here. Cause I think that is really the crux of this whole thing. Um, well, my, my first question though, to backtrack just a little bit is, yeah. I mean, I don't know how much you know about the Tom Clancy novels, but like, do they have like, a, are they all just disjointed stories or is there like a kind of like a sense, like a timeline or no, there's absolutely a timeline in these, which you would not know by watching the movies. Yeah. That's, that's what I was confused by. Well, and okay. So just to kind of prove to you that they were really wanting to make this into a franchise, I guess we can kind of skip a little to the end. Um, after this movie came out, Clancy's plan was and he actually succeeded in this because I was actually I think I was working at Borders Bookstore down in Greenwood, Indiana, when this book came out. He wrote his next novel after this movie was a prequel, which was meant to feature a younger Jack, the younger Jack Ryan in the movie. So he started writing books so that they could make movies with Ben Affleck in them. Like that was his whole idea at that point. Um, rather than have them dig through his other books and kind of keep along the same timeline they were going on they could kind of restart and and this is in effect a reboot because the jack ryan as we meet him in hunt for red october is already married he's already got a child by the end of patriot games his wife is pregnant with child number two by the start of clear and present danger that child has been born so i mean there's there's obviously a progression here that you kind of have to cut short when you cast a younger actor as Jack Ryan. So you backtrack that you make it a prequel, even though the novel itself is not a prequel. Uh, the novel itself was supposed to be the direct sequel to clear and present danger. Um, another thing that Clancy's novels always tended to do were uh, would be um, feature like political organizations and political issues of the day so like during the 80s he's writing a lot about the cold war the villain is almost always russia even the sum of all fears the novel comes out in 1991 the cold war is effectively ended but clancy creates that writes this novel that effectively recreates a cold war scenario so that he can keep making russia the bad guy or at least not 
while not directly making Russia the bad guy, making Russia appear to be the bad guy. Um, the real bad guys in um, The Sum of All Fears are uh, <clears throat> Middle Eastern extremists, um, which, uh, again, in the early 2000s, uh, not really a good move. Uh, and so they actually make them neo-Nazis for this movie, um, which seems like a better fit. But uh, but yeah, so that's kind of where where that went. Um, of course, Clancy probably not terribly happy about that. Um, but yeah, essentially makes this group of like neo-fascists and makes them the, uh, the the villains of the piece. But they're framing both Russia and the Middle East at the same time. Uh, it's it's there's this kind of weird political machination stuff going on behind the scenes. Uh, and of course, the fact that this movie finished filming in June of 2001 makes it, uh, you know, all the more chilling uh, that they released it less than a year after uh, 9-11. Also, like, um, bold move. Yeah, no, knowing that, I'm a little surprised they even released this movie at all. Right. Well, it was, I think it was definitely pushed back at least um, because we were... And, and we'll get into this, I think, a little more once we get into the um, why this movie didn't get a sequel, because I think we might have just tipped our hand right there. <laughs> um, you know, the fact that you feature a a movie whose big action centerpiece is a a terrorist attack on U.S. soil, um, I would say like nine months after the largest terrorist attack on U.S. soil. I mean, not a great move, not a good look, Paramount. Um and I, I remember at the time, because this is the only Jack Ryan movie I actually saw in theaters. Um, but I remember at the time that being a really big um, point of contention and something a lot of people had a problem with. Uh, rightly so, I would say. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the Ben Affleck of it all. Let's let's pedal back a little. Sure. Back uh, to that. Back to the Ben Affleck of it all. Um, so. Ninety. He's he's in movies throughout the early '90s, um, including. Um, let me see here. Mostly Kevin 90, Smith films. No, I was going to say '92. He's he's an uncredited has an uncredited role in the original Buffy the Vampire Slayer as basketball player number ten. Uh, he's in the 1992 film School Ties as a character named Chesty Smith. '93. Uh, he's in the Richard Linklater film Dazed and Confused. 95, he's in Kevin Smith's Mallrats. Uh, from there, 97, the lead role of Chasing Amy, uh, playing Holden McNeil, kind of Kevin Smith's stand-in character. Uh, and then the same year Chasing Amy comes out, he wins an Oscar with his good buddy Matt Damon uh, for a little film called Goodwill Hunting. Uh, they win the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay for that movie. Uh, from there... Affleck goes on to do uh, Phantoms, Armageddon, and Shakespeare in Love in 1998. I mean, Affleck was the bomb in Phantoms. He will, Affleck, you to bomb in Phantoms, yo. Ben Affleck, if you're listening to this, if you're listening to this podcast, Ben, you to bomb in Phantoms, yo. Um, 200 Cigarettes in 99, uh, along with Forces of Nature and Dogma. He does Boiler Room, Reindeer Games, and... Uh, the VHS Joseph King of Dreams, which was DreamWorks' big follow-up to um, the Prince of Egypt. And uh, he plays Joseph, uh, he of Technicolor Dreamcoat fame. And then the movie Bounce, all in the year 2000. 2000, big year for Ben, ben Affleck. Um, 
Pearl Harbor in 2001, uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. And then 2002, we've got Changing Lanes, The Third Wheel, uh, and the music video for uh, Jenny from the Block, in which he plays a character called Boyfriend. Uh, and this movie, Some of All Fears. Uh, this is his first, I think, attempt at franchise. Uh, because the very next year, he'll have his second with Daredevil. And that's kind of where the Af- 2003 actually is when the Affleck thing comes to a head, because that's the year that Geely comes out. And the whole Benefer thing kind of blows up. And it's because, I mean, at this point, Ben Affleck is huge because he's in like he's had an incredible miracle run of movies up to this point. Uh, He's dating the hottest pop star in the world. Um, Like it's all going well. And then like the next year, it all just kind of comes to a head and it's over for a while until he makes his comeback with um, I would say Argo is no uh, Gone Baby Gone. His directing of Gone Baby Gone is kind of a comeback. And then uh, Argo is kind of the 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 re, the like fulfillment of that, and then he goes back to obscurity almost immediately. The the Renaissance, if you will. The Renaissance, yes, very good. <laughs> um, of course, his greatest film is 2014's Gone Girl. That's like the best role he's ever played, in my opinion. Yeah, and I mean he hasn't he hasn't dropped back to obscurity. I mean he's Batman right now. So. I mean technically you're right Look, he's Although, not a good he's not a good batman and it, you know that all of that sucks oh, but the like, snyder bros are coming for you now man I, well look he, they can get in line with every with all the other fandoms that are coming for me since we've started this podcast that's true so you that's, pissed that, off a lot of fandoms so that's fine <laughs> but now but i know look, why you got off twitter <laughs> but look look i mean look he's batman you can't like you can't argue with that that's not obscurity he's batman uh, fair enough. And, but again, then that's, that's another like big follow-up to his Argo run. Like he follows that up, not with another directing gig. He follows that up with playing Batman and he doesn't get his next directing gig until 2016 live by night. And then of course the Batman thing blows up in his face almost immediately. Uh, like the Batman versus Superman returns were not good. Again, a lot of praise for his performance, not a lot of love for that movie. Uh, unless again, of course you're a Snyder bro. Uh, Batman versus Superman is disgusting. It's terrible. I don't like it. Uh, I also don't like the justice league and Zack Snyder's justice league was fine. So. <laughs> well, I mean, quick, quick, uh, quick deviation, quick side note. Did yeah. you hear the rumor that they wanted to release a six hour end game? In response to I don't I this all of this discourse is is terrible and I hate it. Thank you. I hate it. I honestly I I, I've read these rumors and I'm like, this is just them being funny, right? Like they're they're not serious. I can't imagine that that's serious. Um, I hope it's not serious because I don't want that. Here's the thing though, I don't have to watch it, but I know myself well enough to know that I will watch it. um, Yeah, if it comes out, I, I would. I would absolutely watch. I mean, I watched the Snyder cut and I didn't like that first movie and I don't like Zack Snyder as a director. So again, this is just me being, this is just me hating myself. Really? is <laughs> all this is. This is an exercise in masochism. Yeah. That I've, I've spent the last two weeks doing an entire MCU rewatch. Oh, nice. I know I would absolutely watch a six hour end game. I, I know myself. I know that's what would happen. Here's the thing. I, I have recently come ac- uh, upon people on the internet who, apparently dislike endgame and i don't understand that because i think endgame is is so so phenomenal 
those people are wrong. <laughs> um, I'm just I, look. You can have your opinion, and normally I would tell you, you know, you can have your opinion. It's your opinion, no judging. Uh, but in this case, you're wrong. Just I'm sorry. Um, objectively, subjectively, I don't really freaking care. You're wrong. So there you go. Brett has spoken. Address I, your hate too. I, I have spoken. Yes, yes. Please um, send your hate to nowhere because I am not on social media. So there you go. Stuck on that, losers. <laughs> and this is the episode where we just hemorrhage listeners. Um, <laughs> oh, he called us losers. What a what a dick. Um, okay. Anyway, back on track. Um, but yeah, so Ben Affleck um, again, just not really like so at this point riding very high like it's it is conceivable that ben affleck will be like the next big thing and so this is this movie is essentially banking on that we're gonna bank on his star power his charisma to kind of sell this new reboot of the jack ryan franchise and honestly when the reviews for this movie came out most of them were very they're pretty underwhelming across the board, like generally pretty mixed, I guess. Not really, I hate this or this is wonderful, but just kind of somewhere in the middle. But most people didn't have much good to say about Affleck's portrayal of Jack Ryan um, because the character as written is this, again, very smart, very shrewd, very intuitive individual. And Affleck kind of plays him like a frat boy. Um, which doesn't seem like the Jack Ryan that we've recognized either from earlier films or from Clancy's novel. So it feels like a very odd fit um, once it actually plays out that Ben Affleck is playing Jack Ryan. Yeah. Cause even, even without the context of knowing what Jack Ryan is supposed to be, mm-hmm. I still definitely got the vibe that like he, there was something off. Like it, he was supposed to be, smarter and more like you said intuitive and more like just more uh it was forceful i guess more more of a leader than he was definitely being portrayed he was just yeah kind of like along for the ride the, yeah the, char- the, times. the character is an analyst and i mean jack ryan as a character is kind of mostly just along for the ride um but i mean he's the character is an analyst in fact the the common jack ryan refrain and if you were going to play a Jack Ryan drinking game, this would absolutely be like when you finish your bottle of whatever. Uh, it, the, the, the refrain is, but I'm just an analyst. You know, I can't blank. I'm just an analyst. Like, that's the line. Uh, and it's in, I think, just about every Jack Ryan property at least once. It has to be. That's like his whole thing. He's this unassuming guy who gets thrust into these situations that are way over his head and somehow manages to come out on top. Um, it's basically like George Smiley action movies, except George Smiley is like thinking five steps ahead of everyone else. So maybe that's that's a bad move or a bad, bad comparison. But um, that's kind of what this thing is. And this feels very much like action star pretending to be smart until the action happens. And then he rushes in and does his thing uh, when when Affleck does it, which, again, is is fine if that's what the movie is but that's not what Jack Ryan is. Yeah. And I don't have any context for that. So I was just, you know, this just felt like a normal action movie to me. And, but with the exception of like, so the first half of this movie, um, I think I almost fell asleep. 
it was really boring. Um, just waiting like, around for stuff to happen. Kinda, because like, look, I don't, I'm not into political intrigue. I'm not opposed to that. Although I think I, I, I'm more into sci-fi based political intrigue for some sure. reason. Stuff without real world implications. I can kinda, understand that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your Battlestar Galactica's, your expanses, etc. Et Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, but yeah, so like real world political intrigue. I guess I'm not as into, but. But then once 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 they actually got the nuke off on American soil, which I wasn't expecting, you told me before we recorded, like that's a normal thing in Jack Ryan, like stuff like this actually happens. Uh, yeah, I mean nothing nothing this huge, but like yeah, he'll be in a car accident and find himself in the middle of a shootout with the IRA randomly okay. while on vacation in England. Like that's the kind of stuff that happens to Jack Ryan. Yeah, so like I, I didn't expect it. I expected it to go like every other typical action movie, where like, oh no, there's an atomic bomb at at the Super Bowl. He's gonna stop it somehow, mm-hmm. and he doesn't stop it. And then I'm like, I'm in it. I'm like, holy crap, the bomb actually went off. What? Yeah. Huh? This and thing has stakes now. There's it has stakes, and I'm in it now. And like, I shit has officially it. gotten real. Definitely enjoyed the movie more, and I thought. The real like the the juxtaposition of you know the running the test at the beginning of the movie and then seeing how they actually reacted like the president how how they all reacted to it really happening mm-hmm. was a really cool you know thing to see mm-hmm. and I was super into that but then like all the stuff with Ben Affleck was just kind of not good I got it yeah I, it and just, I agree it was just a lot of him going look I know what's going on and them going no we don't believe you and that that's right. all it was. Right. Which uh, honestly, that's, that's, that's a lot of Jack Ryan's whole, the whole thing. Uh, I mean, hunt for red October is probably the best example of it. Cause after that you've got Harrison Ford. It's kind of hard to believe people are not believing anything Harrison Ford says, Sure. but like, uh, like hunt for red October is Alec Baldwin running around going, no, but I know this guy. Like I wrote a paper on him. I met him at a dinner once. I know this guy. And, um, and them going really well. Okay, well, I don't know. Let's let's see how this works. And he going, no, he's going to do this. I know he's going to do. It. And then he does it. And they're like, oh, I guess you do know what you're talking about. Okay. <laughs> well, what do you think we should do next, then, Mister Analyst? Like that's that is literally Hunt for Red October, and it's it's an action movie without any action, and I love it so much. It kind of makes this movie worse to know that like that's just a trope. That like it, it's it's kind of the thing. It, I mean, it's it's what separates the Jack Ryan movies from any other action franchise because any other action franchise, the hero is unimpeachable, right? So that's, I think, what makes the Jack Ryan franchise fun is that the hero is this big nerd that no one really likes. I mean, you know, that that's kind of the fun of the character, at least to my thinking. Sure. Uh, there, there's a fine line though, right? Because like, you know... <clears throat> And I think that's the thing that keeps him from being a Mary Sue is that everyone's not walking around going, oh, but I love this guy. He's so great. They're like, yeah, he's smart. But I mean, I don't really trust him. I don't really like him. He's, you know, he's constantly having to prove himself, which I think is antithetical to what a Mary Sue really is. Yeah, that's fair. I'd, I'd agree with that. And I think it's just the fact that it that it happens so often, like it, it, it that they made a series out of them constantly not believing this guy, even though he's proven that he's right over and over again, apparently. I mean, well, again, in fairness, I've not read any of the books, but that is Hunt for Red October, and that is this movie. And this movie is a reboot, so you don't technically have Hunt for Red October to fall back on at this point. 
at least in continuity. So because they take him back to essentially before where he was in Hunt for Red October for this movie. So yeah, this this I mean this this does really feel like his origin, you know, mm-hmm. how how it starts and how they find him and all that. Like this feels like an origin story. So I, I guess I get it in this movie that they aren't able to believe him yet. But um, seems like in Hunt for Red October, isn't he? I mean, it's the first book, but isn't he like older or is he he's, not? But he's still an analyst. He's still just an analyst. Again, he's still that's just the an thing. Analyst. Okay. So um, that's the and again, that's his thing. He's a he's an analyst for the CIA. He's not the John Clark. He's not the guy going on the missions and like doing the black ops stuff. That's John Clark's role, which we have to talk about Liam Schreiber here before too long, because holy crap, I love Liam Schreiber. Um, but I mean, that's his. That's his thing. Jack Ryan is the guy who writes reports. He's the guy who um, like does the research. Like he's a bookworm. He's a nerd. And so it, and he goes into these like heavily militarized spaces like submarines and the Pentagon and starts talking to these people. And they're like, shut up nerd. (laughs) And it becomes like the jock nerd mentality kind of thing. And I think that's where a lot of the, the, the conflict comes from is that there's this nerd just walking into these places of, of government authority and, and actually showing the things that he knows and everyone's like, no, or, or saying that's too unbelievable. Uh, he's also very good at bluffing. Jack Ryan is um, again, just a character trait of his, but again, I think all of these things are just a part of the character and what they're, they're things that I like about this franchise versus a franchise like bond where, Oh, well, we know you're the best at what you do, 007. Here's five gadgets and, and oh, and this time don't try to cause too much property damage, eh? What kind of stuff? And you're just like, okay, fine. It's just Bond's going to do what Bond's going to do. But Jack Ryan, it feels like there's always this kind of internal conflict within the organization where they're like, yeah, but this guy, he's, he's a real kind of a nerd. Um, and of course, Ben Affleck seems incapable, even though he has personally nerdy tendencies like, dude loves comic books etc um it just he feels ill-suited to play a nerdy character maybe that's what it was and maybe i just need to see the other jack ryan movies for more context uh, and I, I mean you definitely need to do that definitely need to see more more of those but let's talk about uh Liev schreiber as john clark uh again don't know a lot about john clark as a character except he's like the military guy to jack ryan's nerdy guy the first appears, I believe, in Clear and Present Danger or maybe an earlier book just kind of as a as a side character, but really gets more to do in Clear and Present Danger. Again, I've not read the book, so I'm not 100%. Jack Ryan fans, let me know where I'm wrong. Disenfranchpod at gmail.com. Um, but the uh, Liam Schreiber, great actor, an actor I have long admired, um, going back through his, his first film role is in the Nancy Myers, no, not Nancy Myers, Nora Ephron. I knew it was a blank check director that uh, that started with an N. Nora Ephron film Mixed Nuts, where he plays uh, a a trans woman named Chris, uh, and plays her not uh, you not like you would expect an actor to play a trans woman in 1994. Uh, plays her actually with a lot of sincerity and humanity. Uh, and makes her a real character, and it's really good. Like, maybe the best part of that movie, uh, that movie which is not very good in my opinion. Um, he's in the movie Big Night, which is a masterpiece, the Stanley Tucci film Big Night. Um, 
he does Scream, of course, the masterpiece Wes Craven Scream in a very small role as Cotton Weary, a movie he plays for Screams 1, 2, and 3. Uh, he is also in the Ben Affleck vehicle Phantoms in 1998. Uh, he shows up in Sphere in 1998 as well, based on the aforementioned Michael Crichton novel. Love Sphere. Sphere is the best Michael Crichton movie. I'll defend it against Jurassic Park. Wow. Yeah. And Jurassic Park is your number one uh <laughs> Your number one Spielberg too. That's my number impressive. one Spielberg, but I think Sphere is the better adaptation. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Better better adaptation, I would believe, because I don't think there's a lot of uh, a lot of auteur uh, posturing in Sphere, like there might be in like Jurassic Park from Spielberg, who kind of knows how to make movies. I mean, that's Barry Levinson. Barry Levinson is is very much a workman like kind of director. But I mean, Liam Schreiber is one of those guys who just shows up in like bit roles and character parts in a lot of movies kind of leading up to this point, kind of cementing himself as a sort of that guy actor leading up like leading up to this. He is in Jacob, the liar, the hurricane spring forward, the TV movie RKO 281, where he plays the great Orson Welles. He's Laertes in the Kevin Kenneth Branagh Hamlet. Um, he is in Scream 3, and he is in a little movie called Kate and Leopold, starring, or no, I'm sorry, that is not the, ooh, that is not the Kenneth Branagh Hamlet, that is the Michael Almereda Hamlet with Ethan uh, Ethan Hawke as Hamlet. There were a lot of Hamlet adaptations right there in the late 90s, early 2000s. People, people really liked Hamlet right around then. I mean, people really liked to do adaptations of Shakespeare around that time. I mean, both, because both weird of, and weird, like, Modern takes and mm. traditional. Baz Luhrmann's Romeo plus Juliet has a lot to answer for in that regard. Yeah, but I mean, but then we got 10 Things I Hate About You. And that's true. Pretty, that's pretty great. I, so, I, I do know you have mad love for 10 Things I Hate About You. That is another uh, one of those movies that my sister watched a lot, though not as much as You've Got Mail when we were growing up. So sure, I, I have a little bit more of a soft spot for that one compared to, say, You've Got Mail. Um, but yeah, so Aliyah Schreiber kind of consistently showing up, never hasn't really hit like star status. His first big role, uh, he plays the the supporting the first supporting actor in 2004 is The Manchurian Candidate, uh, and then he's in 2006 is in a movie I can't imagine we're not going to cover one of these days, uh, the remake of The Omen, where he is in the Gregory Peck role uh, as Robert Thorne, um, a movie that is not that great. I don't think I ever saw it. Seen the original, of course, but I never course. saw the remake. I watched all of the Omen films last year because uh, I don't know, just because. <laughs> um, but uh, the first one's definitely the best one, and they all kind of start. It's it's diminishing returns from there. Yeah, it's a horror um, franchise, of course. Of course. Uh, 2009, though, he he does show up in another uh, potential fail fran fail franchise starter. Um, X-Men Origins Wolverine, where he plays Victor Creed, a.k.a. Sabretooth, uh, taking over the role from Tyler Maine, who played it in the original X-Men. I thought he did pretty. He was pretty good. Uh, pretty good uh, Sabretooth. He's 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 a very good actor. Um, and that's one of the things that I've always even at this point in 2002, I when Liev Schreiber shows up, I'm like, you know, doing Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the TV. Hey, I know that guy. He's really good. Because again, I'd seen him in a number of things even leading up to that point. I'd seen him in Sphere and Ransom and, you know, 
probably a few other things as well. Uh, like he just, he was like an actor that just kind of showed up in stuff and he's very good at what he does. Uh, and this movie just has for whatever reason, just a lot of really strong character actors, like all the scenes in the, with the president and the joint chiefs or the cabinet or whoever he's talking to, all of those actors are that guy actors. You've got Bruce McGill, you've got Ron Rifkin, you've got Philip Baker Hall, you've got, um, oh, the, uh, it's killing me that I don't remember the name of the actor who played, um, uh, who played, uh, what's his name? Uh, Bob Kelso in Scrubs. What is that actor's name? I'm going to find out. Give me a second. Ken Jenkins. Hey, there it is. Ken Jenkins, the actor that plays Bob Kelso, who has two thumbs and doesn't give a crap. Boom, Bob Kelso. Like he's playing like one of the generals in the movie. Like it's just, or an admiral, I guess, but it's just, I mean, those scenes are such a joy to watch because you get to watch these like really seasoned, great character actors just screaming at each other. Uh, it actually reminds me a lot of the the similar kinds of scenes. And then of course, you know, venerated that guy actor, James Cromwell as the president of the United States as well. But it really reminds me of the scenes in the board or in the, the, the boardroom or whatever in the rock where they're arguing about um, whether or not to send in Sean Connery's character uh, to help break into Alcatraz. And they're all kind of screaming it. And it's like Leo McGarry from the West wing and like all these other really great character actors kind of flanking him on all sides. And you're just like, man, I just want to watch this. Like, could the movie just be this please? And thank you. That would be great. I would love that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the stuff after the bombing, with you know the, the the cabinet and all that and all of them you know the high tension and the the emotion and all that like that that was interesting that was really good stuff i would i would have watched a whole movie of that and that's my favorite spy thriller stuff is that kind of like back rooms machinations like tinker taylor soldier spy is one of my favorite spy movies for that very reason because it's you know, just these guys in rooms kind of thinking and working these plays against one another and against their common enemy. And it's really, for whatever reason, that's the stuff, I think probably because it's very character driven that really pulls me in uh, and, and kind of makes me like, when I'm sit up and take notice. Um, like that's, that's the stuff that I'm always really interested in. Um, I am kind of bummed that they never did a Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy sequel because that, those are bets based on a series of novels and would have just been a delight. Yeah. Which I've never seen that, but I have seen Dr. Strangelove and I feel like that's, you know, a funny that, version of this. It is kind of the comedy version of what this is. Absolutely. Um, and one of my favorite comedies, Dr. Strangelove, absolutely love that movie. Um, and I think Kubrick kind of understands like the breakdown and, and is able to give all those characters their little moments, but, but yeah, it's that, it's that back room, machinations everyone kind of scheming against each other kind of thing that i that i just find a lot of fun um let's talk a little bit about phil alden robinson uh a director of just a handful of movies uh his big break 1989's field of dreams uh starring everyone's favorite kevin costner is he everyone's like, favorite? He's not I mine. Like, I don't like Kevin Costner at all, actually. No, so not a fan myself. Yeah, we've landed. We've landed on that. That's great. Uh, 1992, uh, I would say maybe his masterpiece, the movie, the Robert Redford movie Sneakers, uh, which if you have not seen Sneakers, my friend, watch Sneakers. It's 
phenomenal. It's great cast. You've got Robert Redford, Sidney Poitier, uh, David Strathairn, Dan Aykroyd, River Phoenix, Ben Kingsley, and in a cameo at the end of the movie, playing a character very similar to his character in the Jack Ryan films, James Earl Jones. Huh. So, All right. Yeah. Um, just a really stacked cast, and it's it's about uh, computer hackers in the early 90s. And it's great. You've got a really memorable role from Stephen Tobolowsky in there as well. Um, who's the female lead in that? I want to say... I want to say it's Mary McDonald. It is Mary McDonald. Yep. Mary McDonald from she of aforementioned Battlestar Galactica fame uh, is the female lead in that movie. And she is phenomenal. Uh, does not direct another movie until this one. So like takes a 10 year break from filmmaking, which strikes me as odd. I don't know if he was just in director jail at that time. Does a TV movie in 2000. So he took a long time off after sneakers just in general. Uh, and then in 2014, so a, a big break after this one as well, and then comes up, comes back with the uh, Robin Williams, uh, forgotten Robin Williams film, The Angriest Man in Brooklyn. Uh, so those are the, uh, that and his very first feature is a film called In the Mood, which I have not heard of. I don't know anything about, uh, but those are the five films of Phil Alden Robinson. Okay. So there you go. Not a, not a particularly prolific director, but a couple of those are straight bangers. So uh, Field of Dreams is, I would say, one of the better Costner movies. And uh, Sneakers is just chef's kiss. I think that's such a fun movie. Very, very, very fun. Morgan Freeman in this movie. Any thoughts? I mean, I always love Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman's always doing a good job. Yeah. You know, I was sad to see his character die. Uh, I was sad, but unsurprised. Um, Even when I saw this in theaters, you think he's going to be like the Jim Greer analog from the... Uh, from the original series of films, like he's going to come in and kind of mentor Jack Ryan, be like his friend and ally throughout the series. And then he dies and you're like, oh, so I guess we're we're going to cast Jim Greer in the next one, maybe. And then, of course, there is never a next one. Sure. So for reasons we've kind of already gotten into, I mean, again, the boldness of and, and again, there was it's, it's weird to think about, but there were a lot of movies involving terrorists either being filmed or in production or pre-production when September 11th happened. Uh, I remember there was a movie in production about Jackie Chan as a window washer on the World Trade Center who has to fight off terrorists that was in production, like pre-production, that was swiftly canceled, uh, appropriately canceled after 9-11. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like that kind of stuff was because you hear stories about the movies that didn't get made or that got had to go through rewrites or whatever. This movie was deep in post-production when 9-11 happened. So at that point, you've sunk so much money in it. You really can't pull the plug, which is why this movie still does manage to come out. But even when it does, I mean, we're less than a year outside of the one of the biggest tragedies in, in American history. And it's still a little fresh in a lot of people's minds. Um, Baltimore, not that far from New York City, all things considered. Um, it's uh, it's a little jarring. And like the stuff on the ground after the, the bomb goes off with the, the triage tents and, you know, people in the hospital, uh, you know, what if what, what do we do with the ones that can't make it hold out till they can like 
all that stuff just feels a little fresh. Like that wound's still a little raw um, to start poking at it uh, in the name of a, of a big budget Hollywood blockbuster. Yeah. It, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ramifications here. Mm-hmm. Like there's yeah, this, I mean, it, I don't know. I mean, I guess this is, I mean, it's a story of the book, right? I mean, this is, yeah. So, but the book like, which came out 10 years prior. Yeah. I, I don't know if this was maybe the best story in general. Um, I think, you know, the time the movie came out, sure, bad idea. Um, right. I mean, you can see there. Th- I mean, again, without any prior knowledge, because who could have known, you can see the um, the thinking behind the the people behind the paramount executives greenlighting this movie like it's got that you know it's got a really great standoff scene it's there's a lot of tension here um you know there's a big action set piece right in the middle where this atomic bomb goes off at the super bowl um but then anything that involves mass casualties after 9-11 just feels weird yeah and i mean mean, go ahead personally for me i think anything involving like a nuclear detonation in the middle of a big city just i don't know just me personally i don't think it's anything you should be writing about especially when it's actually happened right before mm-hmm. like it's it's not it's not a good look for me personally maybe you could say that like like look that happened in a different country but like we were the ones that did it so eh, maybe that's not the best not not a good look for us either not, not a good look but i mean i could see where you could argue that you know maybe i'm just too sensitive about this sort of thing but I don't think it's a good idea for a story period. Well, and I mean, given the proximity to 9-11 on this one, it's even more shocking because superhero movies have gotten a lot of crap within the last five years about mass casualties. I mean, was Avengers came out almost 10 years ago and that movie got kind of like slapped on the wrist for its depiction of, you know, a an alien attack in the middle of New York City. Um, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, same thing, uh, got kind of, um, lambasted in the, in the, or no, not, not, uh, Batman v Superman, Man of Steel got kind of lambasted critically just because you've got these two alien super beings leveling a city, um, over their own individual squabble. I mean, it's, it, it comes up the Marvel movies actually dealt with it in um, age of Ultron when you've got Scarlet witch accidentally blowing up a building with innocent people in it. And then of course, civil war doubles down on it with the blowing up the bombing of the UN. So, I mean, it, it still happens and it's still kind of gauche, but it's, it's not like, I mean, stuff blowing up is generally exciting. That's why Michael, Michael Bay has a career. You know, because stuff blowing up is exciting to watch and look at. But on on such a big scale as this, it gets very it gets very touchy. It gets very problematic, I would say. Um, not to use that P word that gets thrown around a lot, but the issues start to become more more evident, I would say. Yeah. And then I don't know. I mean, it's a different time, I would say. Cause like, yeah, there's absolutely a time where like, you know, we just love to see shit blow up. And hey, that's great. We love it. Good job, Michael Bay. But nowadays, like even when I'm doing this MCU rewatch, for some reason, 
now you know i'm watching him and i'm like man that's a that's a lot of destruction how long is it going to take him to rebuild all that stuff mm-hmm. all those people are dying down there they're not even we're not even addressing all the debris that's falling on people like what there's gonna be a lot of casualties right uh, right and, like, and i'm ignoring the you know the cool superhero action because i'm thinking about all the collateral damage mm-hmm. that's just the different frame of mind i'm in now because the world is the way that it is now right and i i, I kind of wish they would have gone through with that series they were gonna there was plans to do a tv series about that comic book series of that company that cleans up after superhero battles right the one that's in uh, spider-man homecoming um yeah. damage control damage control yeah they were going to do a tv series about them at one point and i wish they would have because that's like a whole unexplored thing that they've only touched on in the movies a little bit and right that that'd be cool to see the other side how, mm-hmm. the, how the civilians deal with these gods fighting above them well and i think that was um something that made at least the first couple of avengers movies interesting is that they dealt with the human element a lot more than really any movie any marvel movie since then and i i shudder to give him credit for it but i think that's a that's that's a whedon touch um is is he seems more invested in the people on the ground than most um that that's and i mean evidenced by the fact that he's the one that wrote in that bizarre nonsensical russian family in the into justice league just so that we would have real human people to empathize with they don't have anything to do with the story which is why they were incredibly unnecessary they literally just exist to add stakes to the thing yeah and and there's also a lot to be said for you know i gotta give credit here because it doesn't get a lot of credit this rewatch has made me really appreciate iron man 3 more um, because it deals with Tony's PTSD of what he dealt with. Like mm-hmm. aliens arrived. He went through a wormhole that screwed with his brain. Like he's just a normal guy. Mm-hmm. And the PTSD he has to deal with after that about almost dying and everything that happened. Like that's, that's sort of the realism that they don't always touch on. And, you mm-hmm. know, sometimes I guess I've gotten to a point where I want some more realism in my fantastical superhero films. And there, there's nothing wrong with that, which is why I think you would probably get a kick out of WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier. I have, I'm caught up on those as well. Oh, delightful. So did you enjoy those as well? Or I did, yeah, very much. Okay. Very, very much. So yeah, so I mean, I think TV shows kind of give a little more freedom to explore those things better than, than films do. So I, I, I like that they're able to kind of unpack more of those ideas in the, in the form of the, the TV shows. Um, but this is not a, uh, an MCU podcast. This is, we're actually <laughs> supposed to be talking about some of all fears. I mean, we have talked a good deal about uh, the, the elements of this film, but like I said before, this is not one of my favorite Jack Ryan movies, but um, uh, again, it's not, it's not one that I, I will probably go back to a lot unless i'm just doing a full jack ryan franchise rewatch um but you know it's it's got its place i would probably rank affleck low on my list uh, if not dead last on my list of of on my ryan power rankings at least at this moment having not seen shadow recruit um because i think again he's there's a there's a fundamental aspect of the character that he's missed that he's not particularly well suited for uh which is unfortunate you know, you'll want to like the movie, but 
Yeah, but he was definitely the least interesting part of this movie for me. Definitely. And again, if it had just been a full movie of the backroom machinations of all those really insanely talented that guy actors, I I would have been all about that. That would have been fantastic. Um, but that's not what it was. So no. What did, what did audiences think of this film, Stephen? How much did this movie make? Well, this movie, domestically, uh, it was successful. $118 million domestically at the box office. Uh, opening weekend, you're looking at about $31.1 million, which is a nice opening weekend. It actually opens at number one the weekend that it comes out. Yes, so opens at number one. Uh, in number two, in its 16th week, down from number one the week before, is Star Wars Episode Two: colon, Attack of the Clones. Wow, it was number one for 15 weeks straight. Is that what you're telling me? No, I'm just okay. saying it was, it was number one the week before this and was in its 16th week of release. So you do the math on that one. Uh, well, but by I, this I, point, it has, gained, it has earned 216.7 million dollars worldwide or i'm sorry no that's domestic sorry that's domestic gross so uh big hit that movie for some reason that's speaking of big hits in number three down from number two the week before uh maybe the biggest hit of 2002 in its 29th week in theaters, having grossed $343.2 million, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. Hey, look at that. Speaking of superhero movies. Speaking of superhero movies, one of the one of the best ones, the, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films are great. Um, in well, no, two of them are. Uh, I think three is pretty good. Dude. I rewatched it last year and it's it's pretty good. All right. I did. I did a full, uh, full Sam Raimi rewatch last year, and it's, uh, it's. Here's the thing: when you watch the uh, watch three, and then watch the two Mark Webb movies, you get a new appreciation for for what Raimi's doing in Spider Man Three. There's a lot of studio oversight. The thing that boggles me, I'm just gonna take a pause and sidebar <laughs> here. Let's do it because that's all we've been doing this episode is <laughs> taking a pause and sidebarring. But I think for me. The weirdest thing about the Raimi Spider-Man films is that the first one does well, so they just let him do whatever he wants to do on the second one, and the second one does even better and is an unmitigated masterpiece. So for the third one, the studio decides to impose all of the restrictions. Like, you have to use these villains. You have to do this stuff. The movie has to have this, 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 and this. And um, it it becomes this kind of overcrowded, overstuffed mess but at the end of the day it's an overcrowded overstuffed mess directed by sam raimi so can it really be that bad i suppose not i haven't seen it for a while so i guess i can't really speak to it but i will it's not okay so it's not as good as his follow-up drag me to hell but it is better than his last film oz the great and powerful okay which I would say those two are at opposite ends of his uh, cinematic spectrum, uh, just in terms of what they're doing. So, sure. But uh, but yeah, Spider Man three not as bad as I remembered. Consider giving it a rewatch. That's all I will say. All right, we'll do. This has been Stephen Fox for the In Defense of Spider Man three. Uh, in number four, uh, a good counter programming measure to the sum of all fears. In its first week, uh, it's Undercover Brother. Uh, the Eddie Griffin undercut, probably a movie we could potentially cover one of these days on this podcast, maybe. Maybe. 
maybe. And in number five, uh, Christopher Nolan's, I guess, intro to American audiences, or I guess his follow-up to intro, his intro to the American audiences, it's uh, Al Pacino and Robin Williams in Insomnia, down from number three the week before in its eighth week of release. Another movie I saw in theaters in 2002. As did, as did I. Uh, rounding out your top 10, you've got uh, the movie which would be uh, honestly the exact same movie if you moved the three nouns in it around spirit stallion of the sim uh, of the simmeron excuse me uh in number seven you've got enough the jim caviezel uh j-lo thriller i believe uh in number eight you've got about a boy where uh, hugh grant makes the mistake of closing his eyes and singing uh in ninth place you've got unfaithful uh what if someone was unfaithful and in number 10, you've got The New Guy, uh, which is, I think, that DJ Qualls movie. What if there was a new guy? Um, Some of All Fears gets a uh, tomatometer score of 60, a gentleman's six, a 60% on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, with an audience score of 49, audiences less, less forgiving of this film. Uh, Critics Consensus, a slick and well-made thriller that takes on, a, takes on new weight due to current, the current political climate. Uh, yes. Correct. Definitely. Uh, the Metacritic score, the Metascore of 45 based on 35 critic reviews. And the Letterbox score is 2.8. Brett, where did you rank this one? <sighs> it's been a tough one. It has. Lot lot to mull over when ranking when rating this one. Yeah. And I, th- lot, I think a lot of things to consider. I think I'm gonna go with a three. Okay. Yeah. I I had it at a three after I first watched it, and I've kind of been ruminating on it over the last couple of days, and I've I've bumped it down to a two point five, um, which I feel pretty good about. Um, it's not even as Jack Ryan movies go; it's not as great as those, but it's it, there is some good stuff happening here. Uh, the performances, barring Affleck, are are pretty good. There's there is some stuff in here to like, but again, just the character is wrong the 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 weight of the you know bombing of a major u.s city on the eastern seaboard uh nine months after 9-11 just feels tone deaf like there's there's a lot to think about here that kind of i've been batting around in my head over the last few days since i watched this movie so i'm gonna land on a 2.5 on this one yeah and that's that's where i was originally but then you know talking through it and thinking about it like there there's a lot more that i liked about it you know the, mm-hmm. the backroom machinations that we've talked about and all that sure. stuff that i hadn't given enough weight to before okay. so I, yeah i went the other way after that's i thought fair. about it so that's fair all right well uh i mean there you go that's that's the sum of all fears uh any other uh any other things to say about the sum of all fears no no. I mean, me, I'm just looking forward to now uh, getting to, at some point, cover um, Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit for this. Maybe if Without Remorse is, a, is an unmitigated hit and gets sequels, we can we can talk about that one. Uh, we can talk about Shadow Recruit when that movie comes out, or maybe when the season three of the Amazon Prime Jack Ryan series drops. We can talk about that. So, I don't know. We'll, we'll have an, op- an opportunity at some point to talk about uh, Shadow Recruit, I hope. Uh, Cause then that'll, that'll mean I can finally do my Jack Ryan power rankings. So. Yeah. And I mean, I, I look, uh, I look forward to uh, being able to watch more and rate my own 
Uh, I, I think you would get at least a big kick out of uh, Hunt for Red October. That that for me, that's the gold standard. That they don't get it any better than that one. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm going to have a little bit of a, a bias, maybe between Alec Baldwin and uh, Harrison Ford, but I think I'd, I'd fall on uh, Alec Baldwin just because you know he's Adam Maitland. So. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing: I they both do a very good job, and and Ford's because Ford gets to do it twice he kind of has an unfair advantage but i just really like the way that baldwin handles the character uh maybe maybe next time we can talk about the the behind the scenes machinations of why alec baldwin didn't play the character after the first movie uh because that's a story in and of itself um maybe we'll get into that one when, when we get to shadow recruit I'll, I'll i'll dip into that story but uh, yeah, there's there's some good stuff. Um, I like this franchise, generally speaking. It's not like my favorite or anything, but it's one, again, because I watched it with my dad as a kid. It's one that I've always got, had a soft spot for. So uh, we'll be excited to watch more of it as we get going. Yeah, we shall return to this uh, franchise, quote unquote, franchise, yeah. not franchise. Well, and, and again, this is this would count as like a franchise reboot. Um, and again, they were wanting this to be its own kind of thing separate from the franchise that preceded it. Um, so I, it definitely counts for what we're doing here as shadow recruit would as well, because again, that was intended as a franchise starting point as, as a, another franchise reboot of that series. And when that one failed, they're like, screw it, let's just put it on TV. And that's when they developed um, the, the Jack Ryan show for, for Amazon prime. So yeah. So in case any of you are wondering why we're talking about a franchise, it isn't technically. So. I mean, and, and we've we've it's not the first time we've done something like that. Either, no, no. So. But, you know, we should explain it for new people. Maybe sure. this may be their first episode. So. Yeah. I Why? Why? you? I'm, maybe you're just a big Jack Ryan fan, in which case you probably turned this episode off at least a half an hour ago, <laughs> um, if not sooner. But what they're talking about MCU movies. What the hell? Um, so, you know. Maybe, maybe, maybe you like it. Maybe you didn't either way. Um, if you did enjoy it, please let us know. Uh, you can check us out on social media at disenfranch pod. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, I am all, oh, but before I get to me, let's talk about our email address, disenfranchpod at gmail.com. If you have any thoughts or feelings, uh, or anything you just want to, to give us a piece of your mind about. Maybe you have an idea for another uh, failed franchise starter you want us to cover. Hit us up there, disenfranchpod at gmail.com. Please leave us a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice. And if it's a five-star rating and review, please make sure you leave that on Apple Podcasts so we can get some more listeners like you and maybe some ones that are different from you too because we like all kinds of listeners. Um, I can be found on social media at Chewy Walrus. I am on uh, Twitter, I am on Instagram, and I am on Letterboxd. Brett, uh, you're not really on social media, but if if we wanted to f- see more of what you're doing, where can we find you? Uh, you could potentially find me on Letterboxd at Gunslinger Fire. Um, and I've started to use my Instagram again, a new one. We got a new one. Okay. We've, we've rebranded. Um, All right. You can find me on Instagram at sus, S-U-S underscore warlock sus underscore warlock all right well uh i guess that's all she wrote for this episode of the disenfranchised podcast please join us next week where we talk about another fantastic failed franchise starter and all of the ramifications thereof until next week i'm stephen foxworthy for my host brett wright 
and myself, I, I, I can't really host a podcast, guys. I don't know what you're talking I'm, I'm just an analyst. He's just an analyst. Guys. I'm just an analyst for the love of all things holy. <laughs>